Hey, everybody, it's Carrie Champion, and this is The Brown Print, a podcast that offers solutions and guidance for the marginalized and those who feel left out. These discussions will act as a guide to mentor those in need of direction and also to inspire those who feel hopeless. We will move the needle forward and speak out on the issues by way of dialogue and telling stories of those who need to be heard. This is like when my dad kicked me out of the church because he found out like I was going to the club and him being a minister was like, you can't serve two masters at once. You got to choose one. So my uncle took me in. So one night I fall asleep and I wake up to the TV and it's Spud McKenzie, a dog with one patch. This dog was so famous. I jumped out of the bed and I, I went outside and I said, ain't no way we ain't gonna be successful in America if a one-eyed dog can be successful. Oh, we on our way. Wycliffe Jean needs no introduction, but for those of you who may have been, I guess, living under a rock or perhaps are not familiar with all of his contributions to music and pop culture, uh, I'm going to give you a quick education. What you may not know is that this three-time Grammy winner started off living in a village, a very small village in Haiti. And he came to America, coming to America like the movie, when he was nine years old. Uh, and he had such an imagination about what it would be to live here. And now looking at his career and all of his success, it all came true in many ways. He spent most of his younger years in New York and East Orange, New Jersey, same neighborhoods that cultivated the likes of a Whitney Houston. So he knows how important it is to support the community, but more importantly, the culture. I had an opportunity to sit with Wyclef to get a sense of who he is as a man and his passion to get a sense of who he is as a man and his musical passions and what he wants to do moving forward. You guys are going to really enjoy this. He has so much talent. It goes without saying. But we've got a special surprise at the very end of the podcast. So listen all the way through. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Wyclef on the ground. Thank you so much for being here. Um, and I know you hear this a lot. I'm a fan, but I'm more so a fan of what you've been able to accomplish. You've used your platform in a way that I think is admirable and and should be acknowledged and noticed. And so that's why we wanted you on the brown print. I, I have to start with childhood for me. Talk to me about um, growing up in Haiti uh, and how you knew that you had a talent. When was that discovered? Um, well, thank you for having me on the show. Uh, my my name is my 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 full name is Nel Us Wyclef Jean, and um, yeah. So my my daddy was a, a minister, and he named me after John Wycliffe, the reformator, the first translation of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in English, was done by uh, Wycliffe John Wycliffe, and that's how. So the, the Martin Luther doctrine, which came in later, was inspired by John Wycliffe. So say to yourself, <clears throat> how does a minister from Haiti name his son after a British scholar? You know what I'm saying to you? Let's just start with that. So my, my father, he left me when I was one years old um, and he went to America because they uh, the missionaries that were in the States felt like he would be appropriate for 
what would be um, the idea of bringing souls to Jesus at the time. You know what I'm saying to you? And um, so as a minister, um, he left us and the, the immigration laws in America was different as such they are today. So the laws, if you had a child in the States, you know, you can apply and become a, a U.S. citizen, then go back to the country, go get your boys or your girls and come back to the States. It was a time, you know, when that that's what it was. So when my daddy left me, I, I was raised with my grandmama. And so my grandmama was a woman of extreme faith. You know, um, so here's my childhood. So one day I'm five years old and I've never seen a car in my life. Um, the idea of electricity. We don't know what that is. We got the oil lamp. You dig um, the idea of <clears throat> water. Right. We'd have to go get the water from the well. Um, you use the bathroom in what's called the ravine, you know, the ravine. Um, so this was the reality. And <clears throat> and then um. A car pulled up in a small village in Kwadebuke and Du gets out the car. And it's the first time in my life that I see a white person and I see a car. Okay. So I'm just showing you like I'm straight up. So the Indians have a term when they say white man, you know, it's not a disrespect term. It's uh, as villagers. So when we say men blind, it's like, oh, there's the white man, you know, it's like, so he gets out the car, he goes to the back of the trunk and he takes some rice and he, he gets the rice and he starts to bring the rice towards me and my grandma, like bags of rice. So I'm like confused. And I look at my grandma and in Creole, I said, Gome, translation, grandma, who is it? And my grandma looked at me dead in my eyes and she said, this is Jesus Christ, right? So, so my first encounter with Jesus, he was pulled up in a Suzuki and he bought me some rice in the village. You feel what I'm saying to you? So I'm just giving you a reality of, you just got to imagine how far this village is, where we came from, the idea of seeing a car for the first time in my life, the idea of seeing someone with another complexion for the first time. It have to let you know how far down um, in, in the sense of, even though we was in Haiti, we was in the parts of Haiti that <laughs> it's like, you cannot get out. You know what I mean? So that's a little bit about where we came from. That to me, is mind blowing. So you go from and you you set the scene perfectly from how you grew up, what your your beginnings were, your childhood is, which is again such um a foundation for why I'm doing this this podcast because just think about what wasn't possible. At, at 5 years old, you, did you have an idea that you would ever reach this level of success or where you would be in life? You couldn't you couldn't fathom that at 5, so, could you? So it's funny <clears throat> that you say that. So here it is. So I always smile because I always tell my friends, it's hard to see yourself because you live inside your body. So other people could tell you about yourself, you know, <clears throat> good or bad. So uh, what's funny about what you said? So there's a film coming out on me and it's about my first 10 years of my life. So I wanted like the first Wyclef movie to be animation on the level of Rio, on the level of like when I saw Lion King for the first time. And this is called The Prince of Port-au-Prince how I escaped poverty through imagination. So at five years old, I had formed a small little team in the village and I lived through imagination. And what does that mean? That means the donkey was my airplane. 
And what does that mean? The cemetery, like right inside of the village, was my Walt Disney. That was my Coney Island. So what I did was at five years old, my first experience, my first epiphany was I had a game called We Going to America. And I would line up all of the kids and then um, I would be getting on the donkey. And when as I get on the donkey, um, everybody <clears throat> is saying what they want when I get back from America. Right. So, you know, I was like, yo, I'm headed to the city of diamonds. You know, let me put my Haitian accent on just to give you a little vibe. So I was like, yes, you know, I'm headed to the city of islands and in this city, anything you want, I will bring back. I'll bring back gold. I bring back silver, you know, and you're like five and and. We have nothing to eat for over 48 hours at this time, just to give you an image. And, you know, my aunt is watching us and my grandmother. And then I jump on the donkey <clears throat> and now I'm going around the cemetery. And as I'm going around the cemetery, obviously I'm on the plane and it's coming back around the corner to bring the gifts to the villagers, you know, all of the kids that I, so I, that was my first experience of imaginary friend, right? So he going around just to show you how most kids are, are the same, despite the issue of the rural areas of poverty. So come back around the corner and every kid in excitement is screaming and they're taking their imaginary gifts, um, the imaginary food, you know, um, and eating their chicken and, and some wanted a ring, you know, some wanted just um, the, the toy box of cowboys. And so this was like my early experience of vowing to myself and making that oath that I will always come back and do something for the village. Cause at times I'd be by myself and they'd be like, where are you going? And I'd be like, what do you mean where I'm going? I'm about to jump on boo-boo. We're going to go to the city of diamonds and I'm going to be back next week. You feel what I'm saying? <laughs> you feel me? I yeah, love just, it. it is what it is though. Well, then, you knew you have this imagination. So you um, could probably imagine maybe not specifically, but another life for yourself. So talk to me about the talent. I want to know the f time frame. I, I, I read that your mother bought you a guitar when she knew that you had a talent and there were people locally that you looked up to in Haiti and you knew music was something you wanted to do. Talk to me about that time frame. Well, I mean, really, at a, um, I would say by the time like I'm like eight years old now, by eight um, inside of this village, there was a church and behind the church, there was a voodoo temple. And I always remember like going to the church and hearing these sounds and so in the daytime, I would hear certain sounds and nighttime, I would hear different words, different chants. And it instilled inside of me uh, Africana, just a natural like I really could feel the ancestors from a young age. And then so when I sing, I really don't sing. I just I provoke a vibration, you know, like Kirk Franklin said, yo, when you be going, eh, 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 all that, it be sounding like, yo, a billion Africans are on their way. I say, yeah, because they are. It's just a tribe thing, you know? So at that age, I just would sing. When my parents came and got me from Haiti, brought me to America, we lived in Marlboro Hope Projects in Coney Island. And being like my daddy was a minister, right? He literally would bring instruments into the house. So our first church was in the house, eight of us living in a tiny apartment. And, you know, so my daddy, one December, he 
you know, he's my original Santa Claus and he bought us all of the Muppet instruments. So if anybody out there used to watch the Muppets, you know, you got the animal on the drums, the boom. So he bought us the Muppet instruments. And I guess in a de facto form, he was training us to be like the church band. You get what I mean? That was literally (laughs) me and my brothers and my sister. Like we was just banging these things. And so but being like I was in the projects and I was the oldest I um, and in Brooklyn at the time, you know, it was a little rough because we couldn't speak English. You know what I mean? So I have some of my cousins that got killed. Um, You know, I got into knife fights, you know what I mean? At a very young age, Um, you know, like young Zeke's from the city of God. You know, I have a gun bigger than me that I could hold up. That's just the way it is where we come from. And a lot of people were saying, no, you know, why didn't you just. You know, you could have just walked and go to the other block. No, actually, the other block is worse. So until the policies are changed in the rural areas, that's just what it's going to be. You dig? So um, but my mama said you could get more. You could get like more emotion out, like more anger out in a different kind of way. If you want people to hear you like through music, you dig opposed to <clears throat> just the arms. And I just felt like. All right. So I put the arms down and I replaced it with a guitar. And um, so with this guitar, I just it just developed a whole new set of like admiration for me because it's like I never knew who Jimi Hendrix was. So when I picked up the guitar and then I could go to the library, I could see who he was. I didn't know who Bob Dylan was. So um, and that's sort of like the combination of that and the church music and being like, you and the projects. I remember one day I saw two dudes on top of each other, like literally like these guys was about to kiss each other. But they were saying the worst form of words to each other. They was like, yo, I'll kill your mama. I'll do. I'll stab your preacher in the neck when you coming out the church. And I told my man, I was like, yo, are they about to fight? He was like, no, that's called battle rapping. And he said, what they do is they use these words from different neighborhoods to go up against each other, like breakdancing. So I was like, wow, if I learn the power of words and learn how to do exactly what they're doing, then I won't have to be getting into as much knife fights as I'm getting into because I'm like the oldest. You know, you mess with my little sister. She's going to say, I'm going to get my big brother. And even if that big brother is 110 pounds, you got to put in that work. So for me, I found the ability to battle rap as an escape for vi- like you don't have to apply violence no more and this is how i became a wordsmith so the idea of getting into when i tell people hip-hop really changed my life and when we say hip-hop people have to understand that we're talking about a culture where literally you know i have people as i'm speaking to you doing double life in prison you know people that have just been shot in broad daylight and the idea of this culture literally saving my life you know versus me going on a block you know like rizzer i'm in the store trying to buy an npc you know what i mean so that was some of the early memories of music you said something that i just want to take a moment to highlight because it sounds powerful your mother said the same anger and frustration you have you can express it better um even perhaps more eloquently obviously with music at a young age, how why did that register for you? Why did those, because I could imagine there are so many parents telling their children, you got a choice. 
you could you could you choose the streets or you could do something else and 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 let's release the pain another way let's release the anger another way um and it doesn't always it doesn't always hit the soul so for you why did it make so much sense well it made sense because coming to america like i'm like the immigrant's dream so when i was like busting the gun i was throwing a flag you know or literally like South Orange Avenue pulling my machete out. It's real like that. Why was I doing that? Because I wanted to be heard. I needed the respect. I needed you to know that you're just not going to come up here and slap my brother or my sister. You're not just going to come up here and degrade us, right? Um, And we're not talking about sticks and stones may break my bones, name will never. No, it's more than names. You know, they show up with all kinds of firearms. And so my mother just basically saw that I wanted to convey a message to the world. And this message was like, yo, at the end of the day, you know, refugees, the sense of You know, we leave our place, you know, through at the time if there's dictatorship through a country to come to America. And so at a very young age, you know, we come to America because we like searching for the idea of liberty. And we we need that idea of like saying we can take this immigrant dream and turn it into something and then inspire a nation with it. So my mama saw that in me at a young age. So literally when she was like, you have to make that transition Literally, I was like, okay, so the thing that I do every Sunday morning in church and make people feel good, I could translate that to millions of people in Madison Square Garden. So I'm going to be big like Pink Floyd. And then I just started playing (laughs) Wish You Were Here on guitar. (laughs) I love that. I love that vision. Already calling it out. Okay. Coming to America as an immigrant and being here and seeing the land of opportunity and and possibilities that you always thought about when you were a kid in Haiti. What did you learn about America early on? So when I got to America, I'm in the projects. You feel what I'm saying? And ain't nothing but black people. You feel me? Right. Right. And then so this was my this is like what I learned. So dudes was on the block, they was playing dice. I was just excited to see so many black people. And Rolling dice. So I walked up and I promise you, I'm like, hello, my <laughs> brothers. It is so good <laughs> to be here in America <laughs> with you. My my name is Wyclef Jean. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Like, man, get that. What? What this dude done talk about, man? Listen, man, go back to Jamaica with all that banana boat stuff you done talking over here. And it was like a reality shock. It struck me. I like, hold up, hold up. You mean, oh, they don't consider me a black person? Like, what's going on here? Oh, yeah, they do. But you a banana. And my man was like, yeah, you do. But you sort of like a banana boat type black. You know what I'm saying? Think of like Harry Belafonte. You know what I'm saying? And um, so automatically... I saw a disconnect. So the first disconnect I saw was with me and my own people. And what that mean with the disrespect was like there was a whole generation gap of history that was missing. So at the end of the day, it was like, how can Haiti be the first black republic to get its independence in 1804? 
with literally Toussaint Louverture, a general, the first black general. Like, you know, that's like, you know, the first black coach. This is a general. And so how can we and the Louisiana purchase that you see um, with with the idea of America and, and the British, um, if you follow that history, um, how Haiti helped and securing the best real estate deal for America. So I would assume when I was on that block, so in my brain, I'm like, you know, brother, you know, I would think then I realized that that whole part of history was missing. So one of the things like that, I realized like just coming up, like with my crew at the time, we wanted to be part of something called the Zulu Nation. And the idea with the Zulu Nation, it was sort of like where the the form of education that we were getting in school. So if we was doing black history in school, the Zulu Nation and them brothers that that are selling you the incense in Harlem and all of those books, the Egyptian book of the dead or where do you come from? Like, you know, um, and, you know, breaking down who Churchill is from England, you know, breaking down who um, George Washington is just the history that you get from those guys was totally different in school. And then so for me, that was some of the early experiences I had. I was like, yo, how can I bring like more information to these folks? You know what I'm saying? That That's how literally it started out for me. Wow. That's powerful because you think now, especially now, right? But the you realize everything that you've learned, especially in American system, is not true. There's so 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 many lies or so many omissions, and you have to learn on your own. So you find that you have this education and you have this incredible talent, which is such a beautiful recipe for success and for a way to express yourself. Early on, you start you you're on your own, and then the Fujis come along. Walk me through that whole process that four or five years, maybe 10 years. Because I'll say this, a side note, I remember uh, telling my age in college, like whenever you guys would come to LA, it was like the thing, like we had to try to figure out how we could see y'all, hear y'all. What what was it? Like it was just so, and we were so, wait, it was kids. We were trying to sneak in. We didn't have no hookups in. Nobody knew us. And it was the music, your music narrates a certain section of our lives. I know you people tell you that all the time. And that is a powerful thing to be able to do, to narrate, to remind someone, to describe a, a place and a time in their lives and with joy or with fondness or maybe even with sadness. But there is the music that you've created that does that for people. Yeah. So um, so when you talk about the Fuji's you know, that's like I call it my high school band. And yeah. it's so important. So I get to high school and I'm trying to find myself and and finding myself being like a church boy and who can battle rap. It's like and who plays like 12 instruments. You're like in a weird spot. Like you're just looking for what you want to do. A music teacher discovered me in an auditorium and she put me inside of music class and started to teach me how to read sheet music. And so I fell in love with Quincy Jones and Gershwin. And I was like, okay, I want to be the best composer in the world and play at Carnegie Hall. So this was my early days. So I literally became a jazz major, won every award. And in my senior year of high school, 
um, I got my first record contract. So I, if anybody go back in time, I was an extra for Eric B and Rakim in the video, Don't Sweat the Technique. So if you see that, um, you'll see for me where it actually started. Um, and so you're trying to find yourself. So um, Prize was already with me in my daddy's church. Um, Lauren went to a school called Columbia. And I, I uh, we, my mentor passed away. His name is Khalees Bayon. He's actually the creator of the Fuji's and he don't get enough credit. What does that mean? The Fuji's was really signed to Cool in the Gang. So we was in Jersey inside of a production deal. So the way it happened, Proz was in the studio. And when Proz was in the studio, I'm in my daddy church. Like Eddie came from the Five Heartbeats, you know. And in them days, you know what I'm saying? Like we don't got them phones, but you know, we got them beepers. You already know, like beep, beep, beep. I get the beep and I done check the beeper. I see the number and I call him back. He said, yo, you got to come to the studio. I'm in the studio with two girls and we lay in this thing, but we need you. So I, I ditched my daddy's church after I did my whole choir thing. And I went to the studio, snuck to the studio. And um, so it was <clears throat> prize Lauren Hill, another girl named Marcy. Lauren reminded me of, Nina Simone right from the gate and then Marcy reminded me of like Mariah Carey and this is like when Mariah is like the only one doing them notes and all kind of you know and so the producer name is Khalees Bayon and he's like yo um they tell me you know you kind of good at what you do um that you don't need a pen and a pad we could throw on something and you'll just go in the booth man look I'm a teenager and I see two beautiful women in the room and all I'm thinking about is I'm going to go in that booth and I'm about to show off like shy brother number one. So <laughs> I, go, I go in the booth and I'm doing my thing. And when I come out, Khalees plays the whole thing back and he says, yo, this is a group. He says, do y'all hear this sound? It's a fusion. So something was going on to your point, like, you know, and it happens once in a while in history. Like, why do we love certain bands? Like, no matter what, the Rolling Stones, when they all together, there's just something about that. The Beatles, when they all together, um, U2, you know, Joshua Tree, when they all together. And that was the same thing for the Fuji. So he was like, yo. Um, and the group started out with the three, with the four of us. And then we was hustling and it was not working out. And Marcy's parents was like well you should be going to school to get an education because this thing's not working out <clears throat> and my father I was sneaking behind his back because he had plans for me to go to BU to study theology and then become a lawyer so in no aspect was this in any form part of what my upbringing was supposed to be so I was literally supposed to be the, the minister who takes over my daddy's church so just to show you um, how that happened um, so we put out the first album it was called Blunted on Reality and the name Fuji's is short for refugees and it's for that very reason right we talked about when I was young in that village you know I have people family members that didn't make it across the Cuban waters like that literally died in in the cube so for us the idea was like we're going to take something that people think is so negative and they are they are, they they uh they put filth behind it 
dirty people, stinking. They call us all kind of things. So I said, we're going to take that because this is what hip hop allows you to do. What hip hops allow you to do is same like Shakespeare, the way that he was able to take certain words and, 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 and use it now and make it a new term. So we was able to take the term refugee and turn it into the flyest thing in the world. Why did we do that? Because we wanted to send a signal around the world, whether you was in the Sudan, whether you was in Palestine, whether you was in Israel, whether you was in Brooklyn, whether you was in Syria. It was just the idea of if you need a refuge, just throw this thing on. You know what I'm saying? Throw this thing on. If you got to get litty and take two puffs of your cannabis, you already know we're going to take you on a journey. You know what I mean? I hear make your difference your superpower because that was beautiful. You took a word that had negative connotations and you made it a part of pop culture. You made it a part of the culture um, forever. And that is a beautiful thing. When the Fugees started to garner all of this success, how did you, as an immigrant from Haiti, who thought Jesus was bringing you all rice, handle all of that? Is that too much? Is it too much too soon? Were you able to get guidance from someone to walk you through that process? Well, I mean, that's a great question. And to answer that, I'm 51. And, you know, it's my daughter is set for the rest of her entire life. And her kid kids are set and their kid kids are set. Right. So I think I handled it. <laughs> I, I handled it pretty well. And I think I handled it well because of my parents. So when I was going on tour, my daddy was a big fan of, you know, the Bible. Like it, I'm telling you, man, I think half of my life is like the five heartbeats choir boy. You know, they throw that Bible in your hand. And <clears throat> so you can believe so atheists, I have friends that are atheists, right? They believe in science and blah, 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 blah. You know, I have friends who worship Buddha. I have, you know, friends that can levitate through meditation. So I can't. So when I, I can, when I tell you that I have the fear of God, it's just you have to respect that, the yin and the yang. And I think that that's that room. You walk in there, there's a million dollars you know, you're sort of like Mayweather at a young age, you know, millions just on the table, you know, there's cocaine, there's all kind of stuff. And when you, you know, it's like straight Hotel California, the Eagles. And when, when you know, what what made you not go there? Ain't nothing make me not go there. Of course I went there. I went there many times. And just the idea, so I think people could relate to my story because I don't come off as a saint. Like there's nothing that you kids are doing that I done didn't do like every part of it. So yeah. And then people be like, yo, look, they're making all of that money, but they're wasting all of that money. And then the kid turned around and said, yeah, I'm wasting all the money. Cause I can't really take it with me where I'm going, but there's nobody behind his shoulder to be like, yo, you hot today, tomorrow you might not be hot. Do you got the right accountants behind you? Because trust me, like, are you in control of your publishing? How much copyrights do you really own? And how much are you really making from the tours, right? So I came up with a generation. Now we're like in 2021. And how many of us can we count? Maybe on one finger from the 90s, we could say that really garnered like generational wealth. So for me, 
um, I, I didn't say it was easy, but I would say like the fear of God definitely helped a lot. You know what I'm saying? Uh, there is such a soul to all of your music. Um, you have, I mean, in terms of front facing, people know that you were a solo artist. You work with the Fugees. You are a writer. You've scored films. You work with Whitney Houston. You work with the greats. Um, and it to me, I'm looking at this list, Santana, Shakira, so many others, Grammy Award winner. You can go down the list, right? I can give you a whole resume. I, I wonder if there is more left to do or is there something you haven't done in your career that you want to do? I, I actually don't think I even got started yet, you know? Hey. Yeah. And so everyone has... Uh, a goal. And I was telling my brother-in-law that. So <clears throat> we're looking and I'm like, you see, Joe Biden's the president. And I'm like, you you know how long this guy have been trying to be president? Like I said, look at him being president. And I said, don't you see how he, you see his little jog, right? He's on some, I'm just getting started, right? When we look at Quincy Jones and so I have a ratio, like my thing is like, Quincy Jones is my mentor. When I look at Q, I haven't even got started. And what does that mean I haven't got started? <laughs> at the end of the day, you take the platform of your music, your ability now to transform that into generational wealth, not for yourself no longer, but can you get a million kids there? So at the end of the day, I feel that within the time of earth, you know, yeah, I did write Hips Don't Lie. But if you 17 years old, here's the most important thing I want you to remember about Hips Don't Lie is that I own 66% of it. Ooh. So so if you 17 right now, you probably writing Hips Don't Lie. And mm -hmm. I'm telling you, don't ever sign any form of contract where you are going to sell your rights to anybody. So I feel like I'm just getting started. Um, we just built a scoring company, the first scoring company of diversity, the idea of representing um, women composers, black composers, different composers. Once again, I just feel like the level of the playing field has to be balanced. If I'm in the hood in Newark, you tell me I can be the greatest rapper. Why are you not telling me I could be the greatest composer like Bach? I need both to go with both. So for us, we feel like um, we just getting started in the country of Haiti. It's so important as I move forward. Um, you know, my daddy say no good deed ever goes unpunished. He passed. He passed away. But for me, that country needs to catch a break while my eyes are open, while I'm breathing, while I'm still pretty like Muhammad Ali, while <laughs> I'm still in great health. It's so important that we really don't forget Haiti and really think about what this place really needs moving forward. What does Haiti need moving forward? I know that we talked about this briefly. In 2010, you, you, you filed the paperwork to, to run for president and um, I guess there was um, an issue with residency. You had to be there for five years before you could officially do it. I'm, or these are this is these are reports. What do you want to do for Haiti? Okay, cool, perfect. So the only thing I, I I'd like to say is with the report, I just so want everyone to know I studied the Constitution of our forefathers in the United States. Just want to say with Haitian law 
They took me out illegally. It don't really no. exist. I could have went to the courts and contested. But what would what, what that have done? I would have had blood in my hands, millions of kids in the street, and I wouldn't be here having this conversation. Just wanted to clear that up. What does Haiti need moving forward? What does Africa need moving forward? What do the favelas need moving forward? What do the rural areas of Philadelphia needs moving forward? What do in California skid row when you talk about one of the places that's the richest? How can you have skid row in the middle of California? So I think that here we all share the common gold, right? And the common gold is the idea of do not give me a Band-Aid. But show me something that could be sustainable where I can help my family get out of this storm. It starts off with two things, education and job creation. And so within any institution of moving anything forward, education is very important. And the idea of education goes with job creation because how are they going to be educated if they don't have no food in their tummy? And how will they mama be able to pay for it and take care of it? So I feel that what we have, whether it's a third world country or a third world island, <clears throat> we have band-aids. Um, and within these band-aids, um, think about it. The amount of money that Haiti can owe in debt, right? Whether if we talk about like World Bank or IMF, when you really look at it as a whole, I would say if I was to close my eyes and grant me one wish, I would say make Haiti debt free and give it mm. a clean slate. What about you do that? Just give these people like a clean start and let's start from there. I, I feel that way about student loans and 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 kids graduating 100%. out of college. You know, you sixty, seventy, hundred thousand dollars in debt. That will give me a clean slate. If I start, I, I, I'm not starting at the same place, right? I'm, yes. And even just being black, you're not starting at the same at the same start line, if you will, as a white kid and what they've been given or what another kid has been given who has opportunities. So a clean slate sounds amazing, and that's beautiful. If that was one wish you could have, um, I know we are we're going to wrap this up. I could talk to you forever and I am, I mean, so honored that you were able to do this. Thank if you. and when, let's just say when you um, are performing at the inauguration, do you, do you have a song already in mind or would you make something special for that, for the next president? <laughs> well, I make songs up on the spot, you know, um, one of the songs that I made up on the spot, which became very famous was at the Chappelle show. Yeah. Can you can you play that for us? I, that's what I was getting to. You 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 picking up what I'm putting down already. Yeah. <laughs> I ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. Yeah. I... Take y'all back to the Chappelle show. So one night, you know, we was filming the Chappelle show, and I was just on the side with my guitar. <clears throat> catching the vibe and Dave was like what's that you singing man I was like if I was president I'll get elected on Friday assassinated on Saturday yeah married on Sunday yeah then on Monday everybody goes back to work yeah like nothing happened 
it's just an ordinary day But I could be the president and you could be the president and she could be the president If I was president, if I was the president Instead of spending billions on the war We can use that money So we can feed the poor I know some so poor When it rains that's when they shower Scream and fight the power That's when the vulture devour If I was president I'll get elected on Friday Assassinated on Saturday, buried on Sunday, oh, and on Monday, everybody goes back to work, like nothing happened. It's just an ordinary day. Vote for me, yeah, vote for me, yeah, Biden for president. Beautiful. It's a vibe. Beautiful. It is more than a vibe. Um, I'm, I'm like, okay, yeah. So go on, continue. We can do a whole hour of music. Uh, can I say something? Where can people, or what should people be looking for as we wrap? What should people be looking for? Your next next project that you want to talk about or promote before I let you go? Um, I think that just look for me in the field of scoring. Um, I want to dominate this area and in this space, and just the idea of also representing composers of just. Excellency, you know, all these young kids coming up, look out for that. You know, um, the Netflix movie is going to be amazing. Why do I want everybody to see Prince of Port of Prince? My life story as a kid, because I remember watching um, Aladdin, Cinderella, Pinocchio, Jack and the Beanstalk. Y'all done had me watch all the movies. So I need <laughs> everybody to watch a movie coming from the sounds of Haiti, the electronics of Haiti, the roots of Haiti, you know, the the mixing of language, you know, the English to the Creole to the French, you know, that to the Spanish, all of that energy. So look out for that. Um, very proud of an all-female independent label called Heads Music um, with Madeline Nelson, the CEO, first um, woman distribution um, company. Just happy that I got part of it earlier and not only in supporting that you know but partnering up with her and that very excited about that and uh and then i got back with my cousin jerry wonder so i feel like doing an album this year but i just want to rap like i just want to spit that'd be nice yeah i just want to spit so um i'm gonna do i'm gonna do something it's gonna be fly uh when does the netflix film come out the prince of port au prince is it out right there no it'll be out in three years yeah, we yeah we're scoring um we're scoring it now. Oh, um, my good friend Lena Way, um, Queen and Snip. So shout out to Lena. And guess what? I am scoring season four of The Shy. Oh wow, that's great. That's great. Okay, good. Don't be you just ready? low key you bragging. Ready? Don't bury the lead. You... All right, season four of The Shy. I love it. I'm here for it. Don't bury you the lead. Know. <laughs> You know I'm catching um, a vibe. Wyclef, you have been in education and and so much fun, and I appreciate you. Um, it was very, very humbling to speak to you, um, to see the beginnings and to where you are and how you've just only begun. I look forward to watching the journey. Thank you so much. Bless. Such a pleasure. Thank you. Wyclef, um is so talented. And I was blown away, enamored, uh, locked in that entire interview. But he really, really defined the purpose of what the brown print is for. 
I hope with this podcast that you really truly are getting so many life lessons from different folks from all walks of life. What was special about this for me was because I want to take the word, obviously the word refugee. He was an immigrant. He came here from Haiti at nine years old. That word refugee to this day could have negative connotations. It could mean um, that person isn't worthy. It could mean less than. But Wyclef said they purposely named that group Fugees because they wanted it to sound different, mean something different, and register differently with people all around the world. The takeaway is labels can appear to be defeating. But what he was able to do, especially with that group, was take that difference, that difference in being an immigrant and being a refugee, and make it a talent, a superpower. Imagine all the differences that you have that people look towards you or against you and say, oh, that's unfortunate. That difference is your superpower. He is living proof. This kid lived in a village in Haiti and someone gave them food and his grandmother said, that person is Jesus Christ. That's how far removed he was from civilization and the life in which he would ultimately live. Number two, find an outlet for your anger. Wyclef said his mother noticed how angry he was, noticed he was getting into fights on the streets and said, look, you have a talent and you can express that anger that you're feeling now, that inadequacy, that that ism, whatever it may be, and you can express it better if you use your talent, giving him a guitar. And he said from that moment on, he just knew that he had so much to say. And as opposed to saying it with his fist or with fighting or with gun violence, he should actually use his words and use his talent. And you can replace the word anger for anything, but find an outlet for your anger, for your depression, for your sadness. Find your outlet and it would yield so many benefits, as you can see with White Cloud. And last but not least, this is a word for everybody across all industries. Education. At the end of the podcast, I said, thank you. It's been an education. It's been an education because, quite frankly, he explained how artists in the 90s that were very successful, there are so few that you can say have been able to transition generationally in terms of their music, in terms of their wealth, and in terms of their meaning. And he's been able to do that. He's writing, he's scoring films, he's a producer. All of his talents have been used based off of what that one, that one moment he had in time where he said, I feel like I want to play a guitar. I feel like I love music. He's been able to do so much more. For him to say that he owns 66% of probably one of the biggest hits in the world, Hips Don't Lie, Shakira, amazing. That means that he took the time to learn about a business that would eat others up, that would allow others to be distracted by the momentary need of quick dollars and women, etc., ampersand, you name it. He was able to take that education and use it to his benefit. And he said his family's set for life, but he's also set for life in more ways than one. I hope you enjoyed listening to Wyclef. I know I did. And oh my goodness, what about that song? That was an extra bonus. Hopefully we can play it again and again. Actually, if my producers are listening, let's just play that all the way out. Thank you for listening to The Brown Print with Wyclef. Hope you enjoyed. Yeah. 
If I was president, I'll get elected on Friday. Assassinated on Saturday, yeah. Married on Sunday, yeah. Then on Monday, everybody goes back to work, yeah. Like nothing happened. It's just an ordinary day. But I could be the president, and you could be the president, and she could be the president. If I was president, if I was the president, yeah. Instead of spending billions on the war, we can use that money so we can feed the poor. I know some so poor. When it rains, that's when they shower. Scream and fight the power, yeah. That's when the vulture devour. If I was president, I'll get elected on Friday. Assassinated on Saturday, yeah. Married on Sunday, oh, I. And on Monday, everybody goes back to work, yeah. Like nothing happened. It's just an ordinary day. Vote for me, yeah. Vote for me, yeah. Biden for president. That's it for this week's episode of The Brown Print. Let's keep the conversation going online. You know I love to go online. Follow us on Instagram at The Brown Print Podcast and on Twitter at Brown Print Pod. Follow me, Carrie Champion, on IG and Twitter. You can find me at carry champion don't at me if you got attitude well okay we'd love to hear your feedback or if there's a specific topic you want us to tackle or guests that you want us to have on please reach out to the brown print pod at gmail.com again at brown print pod at gmail.com if you've enjoyed this episode share it with your friends it helps spread the word it is so important that we stay active and vocal We'd greatly appreciate it if you showed us some love by leaving a five-star rating and a positive review. If you do not, I know you are a hater. (laughs) Haha, kidding, kind of, not really. Meanwhile, uh, again, five-star rating and positive review. We need it. It really helps the podcast grow. The Brown Print is a Gallery Media Group original production.